two, no baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Monday, August 2nd, the dawn of a new week. On today's show, Russell Westbrook is traded to the Los Angeles Lakers in the biggest move of the NBA offseason so far. How will the pieces fit? Before we get there, I will give you one reason why I believe gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. My friends, college football is 26 days away from right now. 26 days from now, we're going to be watching Nebraska, Illinois, and it's going to be an incredible experience. However, to get my gambling fix, I've started dabbling in college football futures. One of those that I bet over the weekend, TCU Horned Frogs football team, plus 2,500 to win the Big 12. I have a theory that you should always pick one team in every conference and bet on them to win the conference because then by virtue of that, you become a fan and it's a fantastic experience. So on September 4th, TCU plays the Duchesne Dukes to kick off their season. The Duchesne Dukes. And this is what I am now excited for. So why should gambling be legal in the state of Utah? Because if you want it to, it will turn you into a horned frog for three full months. And now a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your masquerading and you. Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. We are currently in the off-season of all of the major sports that I love, football, hockey, basketball and the story of every offseason is kind of the same you know it's about examining team building it's about examining the philosophy behind that building process it's building out your roster it's filling in the gaps it's or finding an identity it's all that kind of stuff and right now with the NFL I'm seeing a lot of that and it holds a lot of intrigue for me I hear a tidbit that Zach Wilson and Elijah Moore are looking good together in Jets camp I go okay file that away maybe it's good for fantasy purposes or real gambling purposes or just being more knowledgeable about that particular football team. The offseason holds a lot of information and philosophy questions that I really like in general and for purposes of this show really like to explore here into this microphone. It's one of the great areas of intrigue for me. How is everything going to fit together and form a cohesive team? So the NBA draft is last week, and during that time, we have the biggest move of the NBA offseason so far before free agency hits. Russell Westbrook traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, that is a move that holds a very, very big question mark over it when it comes to fit and how a player of Westbrook's caliber and stature and identity fits into the structure of what the Los Angeles Lakers have been and what they want to be moving forward. So this move is of great interest to me for obvious reasons. Uh, LeBron is my number one favorite entity in the NBA, so I care greatly about his career until it ends. And I've also been a pretty hardcore Russell Westbrook detractor. I've never felt like his game truly contributes to the best interest of a team. Uh, and there are a lot of people who have kind of vacillated between a similar place with Westbrook. I think as his career has worn on, a lot of people have arrived where I've been, which is, yeah, there's a lot of stats and wow, these triple doubles look great, but I watch the game and I don't know how much this is actually contributing to a team that has championship aspirations. So there's a lot of questions 
from myself and from a lot of others about how Westbrook fits onto this roster. So I'll say this first and foremost. Uh, I had a lot of questions less than two years ago with the 2020 Lakers, what turned out to be a championship team, and how they chose to build out that roster around James and Davis. Now, the one thing we've known for about over a decade is the quickest path to winning and the quickest path to forming a cohesive basketball team, again, over the course of probably 15 years, is you get LeBron James and you surround him with shooting. Uh, the best case scenario of that is probably the 2017 Cavs team, which didn't end up winning the title. It's the first year Durant went to Golden State. But you got James and you surrounded him with shooting. You said, hey, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, go down the list of, of all of these shooters on this roster, and you had one of the most prolific offenses in the history of the NBA. Again, this is something that started early on in his Miami tenure and is extended into present day. If you want a winning, cohesive basketball team, you get LeBron, and then you say, let's open up the court with space and shooting, and now we can win just by virtue of having those two things together. So the 2020 Lakers kind of lean away from that vision because they get LeBron, and then they get Anthony Davis, which right there, that's the number one thing you want in the NBA. It's star power. You worry about fit and everything else later. It's the number one rule when it comes to team building within the National Basketball Association. So if having stars is the first key to success in the NBA, the Lakers are already in a great place there because they have LeBron, one of the best basketball players of all time, and they have Anthony Davis, this incredible talent who maybe hadn't had the level of team success that people wanted from him, but now he was paired with the best player he's ever going to play with. So you understand that combination. Uh, two all-time talents paired together, and their skills actually really pair well together with one another. And yet, when they went to fill out the roster that season, again, the story of every offseason, uh, find an identity, fill in the gaps, that kind of stuff, I didn't fully understand the vision behind what the team wanted to be. They're signing players like Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and Rajon Rondo. And I go, Dwight Howard, this big lumbering center, how is he fitting into a LeBron-Davis star combination where I would prefer there to be more spacing in the ways that we've seen in the past with LeBron. And JaVale McGee, he kind of fills a similar role with what Dwight Howard is doing. He's the big lumbering guy. He's not going to stretch a defense. He's always going to be around the key. He's going to cramp your spacing on offense. Okay, that's fine. Rajon Rondo, the point guard who sometimes can shoot but other times can't, and he wants the ball in his hands and he's going to come out and he's going to dribble it around and survey the scene. And he's done that to great success in the past, but now he's later on in his career. I didn't understand a lot of how these pieces would fit together around James and Davis. And, and even some of the more natural fit moves, whether that's Caldwell Pope or Kyle Kuzma, they wouldn't have been my first choice. So they build out this kind of a mismatch of a roster around James and Davis. And they go and they get a coach, Frank Vogel, who had had success in the past, uh, most notably with the Indiana Pacers, as just this defensive mastermind. And he builds out a, a team that was greater than its talent that challenged LeBron in Miami. And it's built around Roy Hibbert, this huge lumbering center. He's this defensive pillar. And the Pacers at that time had a very clear identity. It was, we are a different defense first team. And... 
we believe that we can grind every team into dust using this. And they went to the Eastern Conference Finals and they took Miami to Game 7 with that identity. And then Vogel left and he bombed out in Orlando and it just seemed like eh, maybe this is another one of those NBA coaches that floats around and they keep getting jobs and we don't really know if they're good or bad. And so all of these things are together. And again, me, I'm looking at it as a huge LeBron fan and I'm going, I don't love this construct from a roster perspective, from a coaching perspective. I don't feel like this is the best way to maximize LeBron's talents or maximize the star pairing of LeBron and Anthony Davis. So I don't understand the vision. This is me at the time. Uh, going into the 2019-2020 season. Where is all the shooting? Where is the spacing in the half court? Um, are LeBron and Anthony Davis really going to play with a traditional center just clogging up the key at all times? These are the questions that I have going in. And as it turns out, I'm completely wrong on a lot of those things because they didn't end up mattering. The questions of the offseason for that Laker team they were asked internally and solved internally. And it wasn't until I was able to watch them and really until we got into the bubble and we started watching the Lakers in the playoffs that their vision and their identity truly made sense. Okay, our half-court offense and our it's a little cramped and it's not that great. And our three-point shooting, it's below league average in a league that values three-point shooting above all else. But we have a clear identity. Physicality, defense, and sheer star power in the half court. We believe that those three things in unison can overwhelm any of the other questions. And they did because the bubble playoffs, they demonstrated that that vision was absolutely correct. Nobody had an answer for just this enormous swarming defense that was built upon size and speed and physicality. And you're throwing out a defense that has Dwight and AD and LeBron and Kuzma, and Caruso, and Caldwell Pope, and Danny Green, and all these really big switchable players that are tenacious and understand, hey, in a half-court set, it's going to be really hard for another team to score against this much length and this much size. And then on the opposite side of the ball, where there were even more questions, spacing, three-point shooting, they didn't necessarily matter because LeBron and AD said, you know what? We are good enough at basketball, and LeBron especially is the ultimate problem solver so give us whatever tools are there and we'll make use of that. And in the half court in the playoffs, they said, we have less than ideal personnel for this. Doesn't matter. We're going to make it work because that's how good we are as individual basketball players. So popular opinion at the time, uh, and I include myself in this, was wrong. You know, I, I think a lot of people thought this isn't the best way to build a roster around LeBron. And as it turns out, there are many avenues to winning, as I've spoken about many times on the show. So we come into present day, and we come into the biggest move of the offseason so far, Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. And obviously, I have even more questions now with this fit than I did going into the 2019-2020 season. Because Westbrook is a very interesting and unique talent. You go back to when he's 23 years old, and he's playing against LeBron James in 2012 finals, it's game four of that series, and Westbrook goes off for 43 points. It was one of those up-and-coming performances that you see sometimes in the final, and, and your jaw drops, and you go, whew, the sky is literally the limit for a player like this. I mean, just a dynamic athletic force in a league filled with them that, that was somehow 50% more of that, just this relentless assault on the rim, speed, and tenacity 
and he's snarling and he's strutting around and he's jumping into people and he's chasing down loose balls. This was Russell Westbrook at the time. Uh, 23 years old. It's the NBA Finals. It's the biggest stage. And, and he's balling out with just this incredible performance. 40-plus points against LeBron in the Heat. So the Thunder go on to lose that series. But again, the feeling for that team and for Westbrook especially was the sky is the limit. We know that's not how it played out from a team perspective because Harden leaves uh, or Harden is traded and then Durant ends up leaving and Westbrook's the one who remains. But we know about Westbrook during this time frame, the fearlessness and the athleticism. They're both 11 out of 10 on the charts. Nobody in the NBA at that time is going to top those particular things when it comes to Westbrook. And the common train of thought at the time, as it always should be with younger players, is wait until this guy's game truly develops. Wait until he flushes out these looser sides of his basketball game. Wait until he hones down that three-point shot. Wait until he hones down that mid-range shot. Wait until he gains a greater understanding of his place within the structure of a team. This guy is going to be one of the very best players in the NBA and one of the very best players to build a championship contender around. But now we're 10 years later, and we're still in the exact same place when it comes to Russell Westbrook and our understanding of him as a basketball player. There's still the fearlessness, and there's still, shockingly, not the exact same kind of athleticism, but still incredible high-level athleticism. There's still that tenacity, that willingness to attack and attack and attack. But the warts of his game have not been removed. They still exist. That three-point shot, ooh. Mid-range, ooh. The understanding of his place within the structure of a team, we haven't seen. Uh, his willingness to really engage with what do I need to change about myself. And this is strange, to say the least, when you think of the stars that Westbrook has played with over the course of the last decade, but never been able to fit with. You start with Kevin Durant, one of the most malleable superstars you will ever find. I mean, much like LeBron, his game is just built to, what does our team need me to do right now? I can do it. Oh, I got to score? I'll score. I got to pass? I, got, I can pass. I got to go on the block and get some buckets there? Okay, great. I need to play defense individually or on a team level? Okay, great. Like Durant is one of the greatest superstars we've seen at doing everything. Swiss Army Knife style basketball player. And yet he ends up leaving the Thunder because he didn't feel like Westbrook would ever be able to truly fit with him on that level. And then Paul George replaces him. Another similar, not as good, but a similar skill set. Swiss Army Knife, he can do a lot of things. And we never saw Westbrook and George coalesce in a way that you would think. And I think more of that lies on the plate of Westbrook because we've seen him do this with a lot of stars over the years. He goes to Houston with Harden and we see a similar story. Harden, not as malleable as these other two players before him, but still somebody who, when he went to the Nets, we saw a willingness to change some aspects of his game to fit the greater good of the team. And him and Westbrook, it was just, take your turn, I'll take mine on Houston until they split apart. And then he goes to the Wizards last year, and him and Bill, it's just kind of, take your turn and I'll take mine again. So all this stuff, it leads to a lot of questions on my part when I'm saying, how is he going to fit onto this Lakers team? And more importantly, how is he going to be a key piece that can bring LeBron another championship as his career is dwindling down. Uh, we have the most polarizing MVP in recent memory during the 2017 season. Westbrook averages 31-point triple-double, and I think a lot of people were fired up about it at the time and decidedly less so 
by the end of it and really as the years have gone on from that. Because I think a lot of us look back now and say, what was the point of that? You know, uh, these triple-double seasons, I think he's now had four in his last five years. What is the point of these numbers? Uh, when one person uses nearly every single possession when they're on the floor, how does that fit into the framework of a team? These are the enormous questions that tie into the Russell Westbrook experience. And they've been there for all of time. When he wants to sit at the top of the key and dribble the ball and then attack and shoot a mid-range jumper, how does that fit into the framework of a team? And how does that, most importantly, fit into the framework of a team that wants to win a championship? So this Lakers acquisition, it abides by the one train of thought that, again, we know you need in the NBA, that you acquire talent and you worry about the rest later. Now, however, this talent arrives with a lot more questions when it comes to fit than, in my opinion, any player in basketball. It's about as high risk, high risk, high reward as you can find within an acquisition. Uh, so this Westbrook ac acquisition, it makes a lot of sense during the regular season when he can eat up a lot of those non-LeBron minutes on offense. Uh, the Lakers, they've not had somebody who can do that well uh, and come in and create and score for the team when LeBron's not around. There's been a lot of that shouldered by LeBron. And so that makes sense to have Westbrook on your team and he can ease the burden there. And he can hopefully give LeBron more rest, whether that's over a full game or just instead of playing 35 minutes tonight, you can play 30. That's a big boost, especially as LeBron ages. However, you fast forward to the playoffs when this team is really going to care and what this team should really be looking at when they say, how should we put our team together? It makes a lot less sense because, again, spacing and half court and there's one ball to go around. And if you're looking for a more ideal complement to what LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to be doing within the playoffs, there's a lot of other people that I would rather have there on the court with them. So the Lakers are making a big bet on one thing, transition offense. Because Westbrook is not going to alleviate any spacing concerns in the half court. But Westbrook is going to bring a hell of a lot to the table when it comes to the ability to get up and go in transition. So if you're going back to Frank Vogel and the coaching side of things, and you're also saying there are a lot of avenues to winning in any sport, despite the fact that the NBA just wants to be about three-point shooting in space, you could make a case for, okay, just like they did in the 2019-2020 season, Vogel and the Lakers are saying, we're going to zig where others zag. So we can place a huge bet on being the best transition team in basketball, and we can work out the kinks in the half court later. And even if they don't get worked out, we'll trust we can play defense and we can have enough transition offense that we can cover up any other warts elsewhere. So I want to read a quote from one of my favorite writers from ESPN named Zach Lowe uh, about this kind of idea. Spacing isn't everything and doesn't matter in transition. The Lakers were a dangerous fast-breaking team in their title year and lost some of that verve last season amid injuries and malaise. Westbrook is verve incarnate. He will rebound and rampage. The Lakers' half-court offense is their bellwether. They ranked 23rd in points per possession in the half-court last season, and 17th in 2020, per cleaning the glass. They won it all in 2020, in large part because their half-court offense performed at league-best levels in the playoffs, often amid blah spacing. Can they do it again? Question mark. So again, those of you who listen to this show know that I really love 
on a team level, the willingness to try out new things, the willingness to experiment. That comes down to management, that comes down to coaching, that comes down to Frank Vogel and all that kind of stuff. I really love when management and coaches and players, they say, hey, uh, we can exist in a world where maybe we don't abide by these rules that everybody thinks you have to abide by in order to win in 2021. So in the NBA, maybe spacing isn't everything. That's what the Lakers are placing a bet on. And again, I, I like all this stuff. Variety is good, you know? There are many ways to win a basketball game. The Bucks just won with a very unique superstar who goes about his business in a way that is very different from every other player in basketball right now. However, we go back to this fit and we go back to Westbrook on the Lakers and we really get back to the second half of this paragraph from Zach Lowe. This half-court offense sooner or later, it will have to succeed in some capacity. The Lakers in part win a title because LeBron and AD dragged their half-court offense throughout the playoffs to the finish line because of that star power. Um, and again, spacing was not ideal for them during those playoffs. With Westbrook on the team, there's a lot of questions that arise because the main complaint against him throughout his career is an unwillingness to change. Uh, when the ball is out of Russell Westbrook's hands, which it's going to have to be on this team because you have two of the best players in the NBA that you want the ball in their hands, LeBron and Davis. When the ball is not in Westbrook's hands, he has never shown the ability or the willingness to do anything. He has not shown that he's going to go and set screens ever throughout his entire career. He has not shown that he is going to go and cut off ball with any regularity ever throughout his career. Something that made Dwayne Wade such a valuable commodity with LeBron back in the heat days when the ball was out of his hands. Um, Westbrook has always just said, I'm going to have the ball and I'm going to jack up a lot of long twos that are not very efficient. I mean, five straight seasons for him shooting 40% or worse on those particular shots. That is atrocious. And he's going to shoot way more threes than he should as a career 30% shooter from behind the arc. I mean, these are Westbrook's two favorite shots. Think of how strange that is that a person would shoot those two things at volume when he's shooting below 40% on long twos and 30% on threes. Those are incredibly inefficient shots that you should never be taking if you're any player, much less if you're a volume player and you're going to be soaking up the majority of your team's possessions. So he's 13 seasons into his NBA career. And I look at it and say, if he hasn't changed now, why would he? There always is a certain point in a player's career where I go, I just don't really understand why this player would ever change. If they haven't shown the ability or the willingness yet, it just seems like they are wedded to who they are. For Westbrook, that's, that means when the ball is in my hand, I'm going to shoot inefficient shots. When the ball is not in my hand, I'm going to go and I'm going to stand in a corner and that's going to create no spacing because nobody will respect me as a shooter. And I'll wait until our possession's over and then I'll go and play defense sometimes and then wait for the ball to get back in my hands. And this is tied into probably my main knock against Westbrook as I've watched his career. It's that he seems determined to always play his brand of basketball, regardless of whether or not it's best for the team, which turns out these incredible statistical seasons, 31-point triple-doubles, uh, four out of the last five years, triple-doubles, and yet there's a contrast between the individual success, st statistically speaking, and how that contributes to a team.
So you think about this move and you say, well, the Lakers, their championship are bust until LeBron retires. They're going all in every single year. This move is another one of those moves. They're making a bet on talent. They're worrying about fit later if it ever comes. But they're saying our championship window is small. It's however long LeBron is one of the best players in the NBA still. When he's not that, we're going to have a lot of hard questions that we're going to have to ask ourselves because we've continually sold draft picks down the road and we're continually maxing out our cap every single season to get players like Russell Westbrook. And we want to win a championship now. So how does it work when a team that wants to win a championship in present day acquires the guy who 13 seasons into his NBA career has not bent to the will of a team at any possible stop. I'm going to read one more quote from Zach Lowe of ESPN. Westbrook shoots all the time. He should probably rank third on this team in shot attempts. That has happened once in Westbrook's rookie season when he finished a hair behind Jeff Green and way behind Kevin Durant for the Oklahoma City Thunder. In some subsequent seasons in Oklahoma City and Houston, Westbrook averaged more shots than Durant and James Harden. That happens because Westbrook needs the ball all the time. He has never done much off the ball aside from offensive rebounding, which is very valuable. James is ultra dangerous off the ball, but any team handing lots of possessions to Westbrook over James is making a mistake, end quote. So therein lies probably the greatest gamble of the offseason for the Lakers. We have two established A-plus stars who have won at the highest level, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Now, James is the person who takes the majority of their offensive possessions, and you never want to take that away from him. Never at any point would you ever want to do that. He's one of, if not the greatest basketball players that has ever existed. However, Westbrook has never shown the capability or the willingness to do anything without the ball in his hands. So you're caught between a rock and a hard place if you're the Lakers, and it's an enormous gamble. You're saying either we're going to have to dedicate more possessions to Westbrook, which again makes absolutely no sense when you're taking the ball out of LeBron's hands or Anthony Davis's hands to give him possessions, or you're going to have to trust that within your system, with the players that you have there, with the management and coaching and all that kind of stuff, you can get a player to change that has never changed throughout the duration of a decade plus in the NBA. And these problems are going to be even more magnified in the playoffs, as I said before, where defenses are just going to be salivating to try and push all of the Lakers' offensive possessions towards Russell Westbrook and say, great, every possession that you're using, that's not being used by LeBron. Uh, again, probably the greatest problem solver we've ever seen in the NBA. Or Anthony Davis, one of the just incredible talents that are popping up in basketball these days. Now, when I talk about LeBron um, and I talk about his ability to solve problems, this is also something that will play a role in Westbrook's fit. And even if he's not willing to change, LeBron is the ultimate problem solver. When you give him whatever tools, he will make the best with whatever those tools are. And it's kind of impossible to know how he's going to work with any individual player until sometimes you see it play out. There are a bunch of players in the past with LeBron that I never would have guessed would be successful or not. J.R. Smith comes to mind right out of the gate. When Cleveland signed him, I thought this is 
not going to do anything. J.R. Smith, I mean, he should be out of the league. And the next thing you know, he's playing a key role for a championship-winning team for the Cavaliers. He's spacing. LeBron's getting him to buy in on defense. And he's just an important piece for a LeBron James team, one that I didn't ever expect in advance. There are other people that filled that role. You know, Birdman Anderson with the Heat. I never would have expected him to be this key piece alongside LeBron in winning titles. Dwight Howard is another great example from the 2020 season. When they signed him, I thought, oh, give me a break. There's no possible way this guy can bring anything to the table. And yet when you saw him on the court with LeBron and you saw the sheer level of athleticism and physicality, you went, okay, this kind of makes sense. And LeBron is always going to make it work with whoever's on the court with him. Um, so now we go back to this move. We go back to what I've talked about this entire show. And we talk about the greatest question of the entire offseason for the Los Angeles Lakers. One that is even more important with the clock ticking on LeBron's career. Will the acquisition of Westbrook's talent overcome the questionable fit? Thank you for listening to No Baller. This show is produced by Weston Tanner and can be consumed in a variety of ways. You can download it as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the platform of your choice. You can also view it in video form via the Beehive TV app, which can be downloaded on Apple, Google, Roku, and Amazon Fire. For more information, go to noballer.com.